time, weather, and... Welcome to the Jay and Pav Podcast Experience. And you're listening to the Staff Room Podcast with Che, Hurricane, Cheney, and Pav, Wonder, Woman, Wonder. We talk casually, yet poignantly, about the most relevant topics in teaching today. So come and hang out with us. We're always in the mood for a great conversation. Welcome to episode 86 of the Staff Room Podcast. Our conversation today centers around whether or not we should be calling students our students. A very intriguing topic with very interesting origins. So let's not waste any time and get right into this rich conversation. Before we can do that, though, we do need to introduce ourselves. My name is Pav. And I make up half, yes, exactly half of the hosting team of the Staff Room Podcast. And I'm sitting next to the other half, yes, exactly half of the team. I'm not going to introduce him, though. That's something he usually does all on his own. Hold on, I'm coming. (laughs) Oh, my God. Don't forget to floss. Figaro, Figaro, Figaro. So it's working. See, you started too early. I wasn't. I told you I wasn't ready. Now you're ready. That's right. Now you're ready. Um, and I am <laughs> Che Colgate Smile Cheney. Oh boy, you better hope they're paying for this episode. <laughs> I actually made that reference because it's from an old read aloud where the main character, that's how all the students identified that she was so perfect with her Colgate smile. Ah, I see. Mm. Very interesting. So, Pav, before we dive right into this rich conversation, it's been a very busy week for us. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed it has. Actually, this, this doesn't feel like work at all. This is like relaxation time. This is our opportunity to unwind after actually a very, very busy week. You are absolutely right. We had a few presentations this week for a conference uh, for our school board. So we we dove into that uh, this week. And two, two, two presentations, both of them went very well, I think, two different topics. So we had two different presentations to prepare and some rehearsing and practicing and very little sleep, uh, just getting those final touches in. Yeah. Pers- personalizing because I think that's that's important, right? When we personalize a little bit every presentation, it takes a little bit of effort and time 
to be able to do that. You know, before we get right into it, people always, no, people always, people always, but people often say, you know, what are you podcasting for? And I don't know if we've ever really, like, we know why we podcast, but a lot of people always assume the podcast is supposed to be a stepping stone to something else. Mm. But I think a lot of our podcasting has led to a lot of these unanticipated uh, opportunities. So yeah. the this chance to present is really foundational from the work we've been doing in this space because we've had such enriched learning. And I think tonight's conversation is going to be just as enriching mm-hmm. um, for us because we don't necessarily have answers. We just really want to talk about this conversation here. In fact, the one little mini anecdote is that we had a little bit of a spat before we got, <laughs> what do you mean that's not what the article says? Uh, and I said, this is this going to be a rich conversation because we were already getting heated before the mic went on. Yeah, and and we'll we'll try not to get that kind of heated. I'm not. I'm not even at the same table. <laughs> We're sitting on opposite <laughs> ends of the room right now. Um, I have an anecdote. So yeah. we'll start with the anecdote, and then we'll, we'll dive into this conversation of the idea of whether they're they're my students, our students, the students. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we host this little radio show called The Drive, oh. and. Uh, I've done a lot of work, we collectively have, but I've done a lot of work on my vernacular because I know I've dropped a lot of comparative language, the best, favorite, which I've come to realize is totally exclusive behavior. It's not inclusive. It's not part of an anti-racist framework. It merely divides people uh, inherently. And then part of that vernacular has come up is that you and I had a tough time figuring out where we heard this because we know we've engaged in a lot of reading, a lot of other podcasts, a lot of other live broadcasts. It's tough sometimes. Sometimes you have a great idea that sings in, but you're not totally sure. But we were certain that the conversation had come up that the vernacular of my students was oppressive mm-hmm. and 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 we didn't have enough at the time but it, it's always sat in my mind and so i've tried to drop the vernacular um because i i need to work it out and i'm hoping yeah. this is part of that journey tonight but on the drive we were uh live on air and i i stumbled i guess i started to say my and i stopped halfway through and i said the students and one of our great listeners noticed it and of course i sort of had two components we have this we offer we have this blog space we would love it if people blog on the content because our content's not the learning it's how people engage with our thoughts that really solidify and make a community of learners and so we had our first blog was tony on growth mindset and then lee's wrote this great blog based on wondering why i stumbled on that why did i pause why did i retract why did i go back and so when we read that blog this needs to be an episode now Mm -hmm. like something we said live on air triggered a thought someone wanted to know more someone wanted to push someone wanted to send some ideas and so we said it's time for us to share our thought process our reflections look a little bit more and then hopefully collectively communicate engage with you know the staff room podcast space and and that communication is really all that it's about right it's about uh providing opportunities to be able to openly discuss these sorts of topics together um because yes it was that stumble um, on stumbling on your words that Lise, Lise Farquhar actually from Abu Dhabi and she's originally from Canada but she is teaching in Abu Dhabi currently and uh, she often she always actually listens to the drive and it's 
early, early Monday morning for her. So this is her early morning routine. She wakes up with us as we are preparing to end our weekend. And, uh, and it was a very interesting conversation. And, um, and so she sent us a little piece that we are going to be posting on our blog uh, page this week. Uh, and so people can have an opportunity to read that and also kind of hear our side of the story and to, to sort of, um, I don't know, continue this conversation, continue this, this chatter about, um, this, this using of my or ownership sort of language with, uh, with students. I was about to say it again with our students and I still do it. Um, my journey is a little bit different. I started off never saying my students or our students as a teacher, because for me, I used to think, well, first of all, you know, middle schoolers don't want to be known as their teacher's little children. So I never said my students. I always said uh, the class or, you know, or, or I tried to always encompass it as ours. Like this is our space. It was never my space. Uh, so I always uh, phrased it as our um, and then at the same time, I was always just like, well, who gives me the right to, to claim these people as, as mine? So I, I, when I started teaching, it was very much the students or our class, our space. Um, and then, and then I shifted to my, at some point, I don't know exactly when, but it was, um, very akin to what Lee's speaks about in regards to ownership and Eileen Winokur from um, Kuwait, she often talks about belonging. Actually, that is that is what Eileen talks about, belonging and sense of belonging. And so um, this conversation of belonging, of students needing a place to be, ne needing a place to belong and having that sense, um, you know, validated by their teachers is, is important for them. And and I agree with that on a sense as well. And then I also agree with you, Che, when you talk about that anti-oppressive language. And so I, we're back and forth. We're, we're thinking a lot about one side, the other side, not really sure where to go with this. But just like you, Che, you know, these are things that I'm considering and thinking about as we continue this conversation. So we got to thank Lise mm -hmm. for getting us into here this week. And then, you know, Pav, our, my journey would be different. I, I would certainly be able to attest that early on in, in my teaching, I was all about my space, my room. You're coming down to my gym. You're trying out for my team. It was a lot of ownership. Um, and I guess as a new teacher and, and maybe thinking this was the easiest way I could control, I had to, uh, this is what I did. This is where I was most comfortable. And so when I reflect back on early, early times, I was all about mine, mine, mine. You're coming into my space as a means of control, as a means of compliance. I've certainly grown and evolved, but I never dropped sort of the subtle nuanced vernacular that I think I'm becoming more aware of, like the best or your favorite. Those are just recent drops of mine. And that, as soon mm -hmm. as I hear someone say, oh, this is a collection of all the best educators, exclusive, I need no part of you. Because ultimately, I already realized you, you, you don't have the founding principles. Well, I don't want to say you. I guess I just did. But that <laughs> vernacular already in, in, in reveals that you're not in really, truly thinking about the nuances of being inclusive because you're so willing to be so exclusive with your language, immediately demonstrating hierarchy, immediately demonstrating power, and ultimately exclusivity 
inclusivity is the opposite of that. So I've been really purposeful this year, dropping that type of vernacular. Mm -hmm. And then as an extension, it came across this me that my, my students. And so I'm in that place where I'm still working it out. And but in the meantime, I've tried to drop it until I really do work it out. Because you, you're right, those, 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 those places of, I want my students to feel like this is their space, a place, a powerful space. There's a, a really great relationship. But does that relationship need to be formed under the, the idea of my students? Mine is is ownership. It's ownership, yeah. And and I think this is also I have I I might be going too far. It's like as a white male mm-hmm. in a completely racialized community for twenty years, yeah. the idea that I'm using language that is ownership driven and based just it reeks of of uninformed generational trauma. Interge- yeah, and that that was the exact point that that I actually had on my page here. Um, are they our students? Does this sense of ownership cause further intergenerational? trauma to our students, especially from their white teachers. And so, you know, you made that great comment just at the beginning when you said um, in the beginning of your teaching career, you, you always referred to them as my students, my space, my gym, my this. And, and I know that it was to create a sense of community and pride within that community. Like this is something that not only do you feel pride about, but your students feel pride about because they are uh, in this space that uh, belongs to Mr. Janey. And he is like this fantastic educator, which, which you are a great teacher, but um, I think that when I was coming into teaching, there was something that just didn't sit right with me when it came to that, that one uh, fact that, that I feel like I'm competing against someone who has an unfair advantage. So that was a little bit of that uh, discomfort that I was feeling at the time. So um, I think that that you made a really great point there with the intergenerational trauma that our students might be feeling, especially when it's coming from their white teachers and we're teaching in a predominantly non-white community. So um, is that something that we really truly need to be mindful of? And that is something that I have been thinking about a lot more um, since hearing that a couple of weeks ago, months ago, I don't even remember when it was, but it is something that I am definitely a little bit more mindful of now. Pav, one of the things you said earlier when we talked about, and even in previous episodes, this idea of co-creation, shared mm-hmm. spaces, mutual learners, mm-hmm. uh, there's been a real shift in 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 pedagogies, in teaching styles, in mastery framework, um, in assessment practices, and so they lend themselves to the idea of mutual learners, collective growth. So there is no one's my there. There isn't that sense of they're my students in in those regards. This is a collective space, and I was you know going through some educational spots, and we've got a great article to to talk about. Um, but I, I I came across I, I had my anecdotes of me in the gym and me and I was big on mine 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 mine. Uh, I think almost earlier on in my career, like. I, I, I like being able to say I could snap my finger and get students to respond. Now, I would, I would never share that story. But like within my first six or seven years, like that was something I wanted to share that I could do. And now it's 20 years in. It's like, no, nah, I won't even. I'll only reference it on a podcast so no one can hear it. <laughs> so no one knows. Um, but I thought of a few other things. So one, I started to, I wanted to 
think on my own experiences, my own, you know, my own truth, my own realities. And I sort of think, what about me and my relationship with administrators? And I said, wait a sec, wait a sec. I detest. I flat out detest when an administrator calls me my staff. I ain't yours. Yeah. I don't want you even making any assumptions that my growth is inherently connected to you, even if you've had parts and bits and roles. As soon as you say my, I, I dislike it on a massive level. It is an immediate turnoff for me when an administrator refers to their staff as my staff. I am not yours, yeah. period. And so I'm saying, if I can be so thrown off by that and so such a turnoff for me as a, as, as a teacher then the unmitigated gall to somehow think that my students would be okay with it. Mm-hmm. And so on an anecdotal level, regardless of best intention with my administrator, regardless of whether they're ones I've really got along with, I actually never, ever, ever, ever need to hear you tell me I'm your staff. And then it I, I dawned on me on a great podcast I'd listen to. And sorry, all my educator friends, it's not an educational podcast. Um, in this time, Mm. And it was about Ronald Reagan. Okay. And they talked about Ronald Reagan as, you know, what he had strengths, he had weaknesses, and he had probably as many weaknesses, as many controversies as other uh, presidents, but he managed to get through it. He always managed to be well-liked. And the podcast went into it that Ronald Reagan refused to use vernacular of I and mine. It wasn't my caucus. It wasn't my party. It was the party. Us as a party. He always used vernacular of collective. He didn't use eyes and mine. And the podcast referenced that this what made him likable, connectable. And I think that's important because I think a lot of the things we've come across is about relationship building. And we hear about this all the time, but no one ever really talks any details about what that actually means. Mm-hmm. Um, but relationship building was key. Like, how am I going to build a great relationship? How am I going to build a trusting relationship? How am I going to form the right time to have those one-on-one relationships to understand what are the traumas that students are bringing into our space? Because there's not there, there can be on a layer community trauma, but ultimately they're individual traumas. You need to know what everyone is bringing into your space. That's the value of the relationship, the value of the trust. But do you build a trusting relationship when you use vernacular of ownership, which is hierarchy, which is control, which, which is exclusivity. All the words that we all pretend not to want, but to our subtle, nuanced vocabulary, actually hold on to that colonial suppression. Mm-hmm. It's such important points there. And those terminologies that you're, you're speaking out about are highly possessive. And so having that, uh, that, that oppressive language in the classroom. And I'm thinking about what are we doing in our spaces to make sure that we are teaching our students anti-oppressive language? Because we may have students that are just inherently feeling that kind of visceral reaction that you described about being called somebody's possession, your administrator's possession. Um, Our students may not be able to vocalize or verbalize how they're feeling in regards to that sort of possession. Um, And so this becomes really important. And I'm thinking about actually one of my co-teachers that I uh, teach with in the intermediate um, division of my school, who does an entire unit on anti-oppressive language in the classroom and makes sure that her students are very well versed in, in, in all of the language that they may need to know in order to um, 
fully engage in conversations about anti-racism, anti-oppression. And, and it actually had me even thinking, making connections to um, Twitter posts and Instagram posts that I've recently been seeing where people have been very clearly putting uh, language on, on infographics and say, make sure you say this and not this when you are making an argument against this particular anti-oppressive or oppressive, sorry, I should say, act. Uh, make sure that you are using the correct terminology, the correct language, the, the correct uh, vernacular that, that correctly describes what you are trying to describe. So language is extremely important and we need to be very mindful of that because not only does our language speak volumes about how we feel about our place in our classroom, but it also speaks volumes about the, the students and their understanding of what their place is in the hierarchy of the classroom. So that, that I, I was thinking about, okay, well, if I'm calling them my class, then there is that, that hierarchy that I've created. I'm, I've begun to center myself as the owner of this space and my class, uh, members are, are just things that are of my possession. So that's what, that's what I was thinking about how, how much more mindful we need to be about anti-oppressive language in the classroom. Saying we're student centered isn't necessarily the same thing as being student-centered. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. you, yeah, I like when you brought that up because I know we talk a lot about being teacher-centered because we talk a lot about teacher voice, but we often know that it's very performative. Mm-hmm. That really, I, I can have a voice as long as it doesn't disrupt the system. And as soon as it disrupts the system, then I'm going to back up to make sure I protect the system. Um, I remember someone talking about dress code and, and they claim to be a disruptor, which is fine. I'm not and then they talk about dress code. Oh, well, that's the rule. So I'm going to wear a shirt and tie. Well, I guess you're not a disruptor then if you're not willing to disrupt in order to maintain the system. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a really trivialized example, but um, it reminds me of your statement there is that when we say we want to be student-centered, then there's not just a certain things that have to drop. It's got to be, um, it's all in or it's not. Right. I sound like John Madden because that's obvious. But <laughs> all in really means it's got to be a commitment to every facet of, mm-hmm. of being student-centered. It doesn't just mean they can pick a task three times a week. Yeah. If you're truly committed to the pedagogy of student-centered, then can you be okay with the vernacular of my? And uh, uh, as much as I, this is all spinning in my head, I don't... Pat, you know, one thing I wanted to talk about is that I don't, I don't know if in, a, in an argument... I could really, I could withstand an argument. I don't know this completely. Like, I don't have a lot of experience. This is new learning for me, new growth, new vernacular changes. And it reminds me of a, of a bigger topic. When we come up with a concept that we're learning and we're growing and we're not sure of, like, what's the action do we take? Do we hold on to something until it's disproven entirely? Or do we put brakes on our, yeah. our old practice and say, you know what, I'm going to drop the my vernacular. And I think that's the place I'm trying to be yes. in. Yes. Until I work out whether it's it's really, like, I need to know whether I need to drop it. I want right. to know. But until I absolutely know, I'm dropping it as I work it out, as I, as, as I grow in conversation, as I read more, as I listen more. But can I ask you something? Mm-hmm. How do you feel 
What does your gut tell you here? Because mine in this situation tells me that I need to, I need to drop this. I need to drop this and not necessarily completely. And it's wrong for everybody. I think that in our community where we are teaching, I think it may be important for us to drop this. I mean, you and I, um, I think that the teachers in our community may also need to consider this type of language as well. Um, I'm, I'm also thinking about younger students who might not need that um, my to be dropped because I think that maybe younger students still enjoy feeling like they belong to the teacher, like they there's a little different sense of belonging um, in that younger space. And I'm also thinking about people who are of the same ethnic background as as students. Is it is it okay for for that? teacher to call their students my these are these are of course just thoughts that I had in my head because like you I'm not a hundred percent sure on where to fall on this one but my gut tells me right now that I, I I need to drop the my that's just what my feelings tell me how about you I'm in that same place I, I want to drop it I just want to be able to articulate in conversation why why yeah exactly where I'm still trying to learn and and also I'm not I'm not dismissive of why other people are using it yet because I mm. it's not for me I'm not in a place for me to say you can't use my and this is sort of me documenting my journey right. <laughs> my journey my thought process collectively our thought process yeah this is where where we're at and maybe if we became more in tuned or more researched or better mm-hmm. practice, we'd be able to advocate more. When you think about the, the con, this all falls under the concept of, of anti-racism mm-hmm. and anti-racism disruption. And disruption, yeah. And, and, and I think we've established before that as much as we want to be disruptors and we claim disruption, we know we're still on that journey. Yes. I would course. never, I would never give myself the label a disruptor. No. I, I'm a work in progress. That's right. A willful work in progress. Is that the right word? Willful? I don't know. Sure, yeah. And, and I think this type of vernacular the same way comparative vernacular uh has been has been sort of my goals this year dropping subtle nuanced language that is oppressive and i hadn't realized it that's sort Mm -hmm. of that's probably my greatest growth this year despite all the technology yeah 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 it's probably the the dropping of nuanced vernacular that actually is inherently exclusive while claiming to be inclusive that's a that's a really great takeaway. Hey, can I uh, can I take us out on? Com- well, no, not take us out. You're can gonna I- do the commercial. No, 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 no. Can we- I uh, give a quote before we we throw to commercial? Uh, you can because I was going through the notes, and this is probably the first time we've had a shared document of notes, and I'm like. Who did all this writing? And, I, and then I read, oh, you highlight, this is all your notes. I had to scroll all the way up to the top to my four little bullets. <laughs> no, I was adding a lot of thoughts as we were typing and highlighting the things that we were talking about as we go. But I, I came across this article that was called Teaching for Social Justice, Translating an Anti-Oppression Approach, approach into Practice by Deidre Kelly. And, uh, and she wrote this, quote, strategies that teachers use to counter systemic violence include one, explicitly identifying, demeaning, exclusionary language, behavior, and a policy as a form of oppression, and two, modeling challenging taken-for-granted systemic violence, understanding privilege, and creating alliances across difference. 
And that stood out to me. End quote. Sorry, I'm not as good at this as you are. End quote. You don't listen to as much Ralph Nader. No, definitely I don't. But I have listened to some and I like the way that he does it. Mm -hmm. And you do it far better than I do. Um, But I thought that this was really great because it highlighted the importance. Can you read that first part again? Like, I I love the whole thing. It's sinking in. But that first part was just when you talked about that language. If you could drop that again for me. Sure. And I quote. That's better. Strategies that teachers use to counter systemic violence include, number one, explicitly identifying demeaning, exclusionary language, behavior, and a policy as a form of oppression. And two, modeling challenging taken-for-granted systemic violence, understanding privilege, and creating alliances across difference. End quote. And that is a great quote, I think, to mm-hmm. channel us into a, a break, and then we'll come back and maybe have another anecdote, and we'll do our usual swag bag and stuff like that. But this is this has been a good conversation for us thus far, because it, it's us explicitly talking about things we've talked about in passing, in a text message, in an email, in a, in a quick blurb here or there, and then in a you know, a little spat before the episode. What do you mean? What do you mean, no butts? No butts. And we've managed to keep it together for 25 minutes. Um, but you know what? That's, that's, that's sort of the precursor to having this conversation here. And uh, I'm stalling just for a second because <laughs> I'm trying to think of what the, the commercial could be because as much as you think that they're planned and we really have all these sponsors... We really don't. We don't. <laughs> I'm always shocked at how quickly you come up with something. <laughs> and this episode is brought to you by Mahalti Shade Glasses. Because if you're going to run Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you better have four pair of shades to match with your tights. <laughs> Welcome back, all my staff room podcast listeners ah, 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 see ah, how that ah. feels see how that feels everyone you don't like it do you <laughs> two times i say my ah, 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 ah. that was my three times you said my ah, 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 ah. that's a sesame street reference might be a little oh, beyond your time is it beyond my time you know sesame street is still on television no, i didn't know that actually <laughs> I guess I should have. I should have done some research in between this. Um, this has been okay. a good conversation because yeah. I don't have necessarily, I, I don't have definitive answers. I feel I feel clear. Mm-hmm. I feel good about the, the conversation, but I'm still in a place where I'd love to hear other perspectives, things that I've missed. Um, what I know is 20 years experience being a white male educator in a racialized community where I have done tremendous growth in decentering myself and understanding that things that I assume were my greatest assets were actually mostly just my greatest means of oppression. Mm. Wow, that's very, very reflective. And I didn't actually write that down. I just thought it up. Mm. Um, and thus... There's been a real disruption of my teaching, which I think is the key. I don't say it's the key for everyone because not everyone is in that place. But I think part of disruption is making sure you are disrupting yourself. And and mm-hmm. as I shared before, disrupting my language has been really g- good for me this year. Um, you know, now I'll, I'll take I'll take a step back on my disruption of uh, the shirt and tie. Uh, you can wear a shirt and tie. Yeah, I didn't say you couldn't wear a shirt and tie. Okay. It was just a little brief anecdote where I heard someone talking about being a disruptor and then within the same breath 
commented that they had to play the game so they were going to wear a shirt and tie. And I just said, oh, but. Right. So for all those shirt and tie wearing listeners of the Staffing Podcast, I have no qualms. Especially if you're wearing your shirt and tie in the gym. Or in uh, like a series of unbelievable knots that there's no way I will ever, (laughs) ever be able to do. Like, who even came up with the cape knot? Like, that's brilliant. Double Windsor, because my grandfather always had a double Windsor. Um, And yes, I did wear a shirt and tie my first three years of teaching gym until Action Jackson said, what are you doing? (laughs) You're the gym teacher. Start wearing gym clothes. Yeah. And I have not worn a shirt and tie. Well, maybe for graduation. But we digress. Let's move back into a little bit of content. Yes. Um, there's there's many places we can go. And I think as part of the the vernacular I've tried to change, which is overall part of that anti-racist uh, framework and trying to be more mindful and decentering myself. And we talk about student-centered. It, the obvious things of agency and choice and choice boards and how you can display your learning and co-creation. But then also just changing my vernacular to make sure there isn't that subtle undertone. Mm-hmm. And one of the mm-hmm. uh, slightly different things, unrelated this on this path, but I thought I was being a great advocate this year to try to inspire my students with social justice, more so than ever. And I think I've shared this story where... Uh, s- some boys in the class said something that was sexist. And I was ready for the uh, two girls in particular that are really, really feisty and they're really... Yeah, re- vocal. Yes. Um, in a good way, like yeah. a good way. And I was just ready for them to explode and they said nothing. Right. And then I, I asked them about them afterwards and they just said, well, Mr. Cheney, we, we, we thought you'd be upset with us. And at that point, it wasn't for me to say, I'm upset with you. It's the, no matter how hard and intentional I think I am, there's still something to being that white male, especially in this community, our community, centered in the room that people will still be compliant. And even if you talk the talk, and even if you set up lessons and and moments, and even if you do all the right things, you think you're doing all the right things, there's still a lot of trust that your students are a little a lot of ingrained mistrust your students have with the whole education system as a whole. Mm-hmm. So although I, I would articulate these students didn't dislike me, they still had some reservations on whether they would be able to lose their mind on right. on those boys on that particular moment. And it, it was a good grounding for me to remind me I still have work to do because I wanted those students. Yeah, to be able to say. What are you talking right. about? And so this is this is where I have a little bit of a like a conundrum here because uh yes, I want my students to be able to speak up when they feel like it's it's their place to speak up and say something. Um but in my in in, in the absence of using um I don't want to say possessive or ownership language like more um, familial language or more, um, language with my class that makes us feel like, like a family. If, if I'm not using that kind of language, do my, do my students, do our students, do the students in the space 
feel like they can connect with one another and with their teacher on that more personal level? Am I depersonalizing my class so much that they just don't feel like they belong in that space anymore? Mm. And so that's that's something that I'm struggling with. And so I see what Lisa's saying and I see what Eileen is saying and I understand it fully. And if I remove that language that makes us feel connected then am I am I creating a space that is too sterile, that is just absent of of feeling, and uh, and students just don't feel connected to each other because we talk so much about community and what are different kinds of communities and families are communities and although we are not a family in that sense. Do we not try to create that sort of atmosphere with one another where we feel safe? And I think that so many students just, they feel safe in that familial setting. And so, um, I, that's, that's my struggle is, is if I don't call them mine, then am I pushing them too far away? Because the foundational component of trauma-informed teaching is, is building trust, mm-hmm. strong one-to-one relationships. And when you talk about this, it, 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 I go back to something you said earlier, that the, the word my has different meanings for different communities, yeah. different individuals, different right. teachers. And so I think our environment really highlights the... I don't even, do I want to say the word danger of using my, but I think it brings it more to the forefront, but in different communities with different students and different dynamics, does the word have a new connotation, a new meaning? Mm -hmm. And then that's an entire conversation. Do we become comfortable with the word in one context, but not comfortable with the word in another? I don't, I don't know. I'd I'd have to sit and think about this for a little bit because I agree with you. Like Lise and Eileen, they're talking, like everyone, they're talking about community building. We're talking about being together. Um, and so where do we go for it? Like, how do you address your students? It's the idea of, all right, it's, it's basketball time. Mm-hmm. Basketball stars, let's roll. Right. It's math time. Mathematicians, let's get it on. Uh... So yes, I mean, the way that you were presenting this is we can create a community by using different terminology, by understanding what our students, uh, what their strengths are and who they are as individuals. And we don't necessarily have to make them part of our um, our circle or our place or our space. Let's all be problem solvers and work on this math problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a good place to go. Um, I found a great article. With when and I needed some help from you because I was I was struggling to find stuff because you know there's not a lot of material that talks explicitly about this you got to dig a little bit mm-hmm. um, and I found this this great site and great article um, although I think I, I think I found this one myself <clears throat> actually you gave me I was the, gonna say was this before or after you yelled at me this was the article that caused a little grief <laughs> <laughs> so I think it only fitting that we have it now so I can quickly push stop if it gets <laughs> tense. Um, uh, um, the responsive classroom.org. And this one is naming students in positive ways. And it goes through uh, a vast list of examples and uh, 
particular moments where you're, you know, talking about language and using positive language. And um, it comes in and it gives us some of these examples. And it talks about using boys and girls and ladies and gentlemen. That ultimately, why do we not use this? Because gender shouldn't be crucial to identity in, in, in the sense of you don't necessarily need to establish you're a boy or a girl to communicate with students. So that was the first one they talked about, avoiding using statements like boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Then said, avoid to Mr. Cheney's class or my class. And it said that it, it emphasizes teachers as as the defining feature of the classroom, suggesting that students belong to the teachers. Mm -hmm. And it said then, try scientists, readers, mathematicians, geographers as as a possible example. And and one of the reasons they talked about said, choose respectful names. Quote, Mm. the way we address students may inadvertently undermine the message of confidence and respect we want to send to them. Here are some names to think twice about. End quote. Just setting it up. And I think it's key to, to appreciate that it's it's unintended. It's nuanced language yes. that we may be unaware that is continuing to oppress even in a massive concept of doing great work, great lessons, student choice, student voice, great resources, challenging our posters, challenging our pedagogy, the posters like stuff that's on the wall, the curriculum, the textbooks. But then do certain little nuances maintain that hierarchy, maintain that uh, exclusiveness, maintain that ownership, which inherently go against anti-racism, inclusivity, trauma-informed teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really well said. Great points there. And this is a, was a very great article that we will post in the, in the show notes as well. There were a few that I really wanted to read. There was one that was called Restoring Black Mental Health in the Classroom, uh, but I didn't have access to it. So I couldn't read it. I read a little bit of the abstract, but it looked really interesting. And then there was another one that uh, spoke a little bit more about Indigenous students in the classroom and the intergenerational trauma uh, they've experienced, especially with respect to residential schools and students being stripped of their own identities to then being told that they now belong to a different identity. And so that was another one, uh, another uh, area where I'd like to explore a little bit more, do a little bit more reading into the intergenerational trauma that is experienced based on the language anti or the oppressive language I should say uh, that students experience in in the classroom space so I think that there's still a uh, room for a lot more learning in this in this uh, with this topic as both Che and myself have expressed uh, several times over this episode and I'm actually I'm looking forward to this exploration I like hearing different uh, points of view and I like hearing different sides of the story. Should we get to the swag bag? I like the swag bag. I know you do. <laughs> so I get to sit back and listen. That's, I'm doing all the work. I had to go push the button in and I'm drifting the music up. Yeah, that's okay. You're good at it. You're lucky I got the right sound sure. clips on. I'm just going to lean back here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me brush my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> no, I already did that. Uh, our swag bag today, and I think it's key to, actually, maybe I'll address that through the swag bag. Our number one swag bag item is, you know, check your language. Is it inclusive or exclusive? And it's got to be all in or it's not. And so uh, I think we're pretty comfortable and confident that words like the best or your favorite or my are inherently 
exclusive driven and thus people are left out marginalized and so we want to be exclusive inclusive so let's make sure we're checking our language it's very subtle but it's worth challenging it's worth disrupting ourselves and i know on my own personal journey i could probably articulate that's been my biggest journey this year um two when you aren't sure read look things up have conversations there's a space to collectively mutually grow we are mutual learners and so we grow through having these conversations we grow through have finding an article and bringing it to the forefront i finding a quote bringing it to the forefront and then collectively we grow these episodes is not where you learn these episodes we hope are roots to further conversations so we can all collectively learn later we are no gatekeepers and then i think my third one um it's beneficial to be in a shared learning journey as a whole engage in a community that it is a collective mutual learners and growth which i think is what we all do inherently in our classrooms but do we do it as educators or do we hold on to knowledge or do we think that we've got to go to certain places to learn let's collectively learn let's have these rich conversations let's all bring our experiences let's all go look up things bring them to a space and let's collectively learn so at the end of the day we can all say we have learned together and that's my swag bag for this episode of the Staff Room Podcast, episode 86, on a journey to 100. <laughs> Are they my students? And this was a fantastic conversation indeed. I know that I learned a lot and your swag bag summed up exactly where we are and where we need to go. So what's coming up for Chain Pav and the Staff Room Podcast? Well, of course, The Drive on Sunday nights. 8.30 to 10, it's music you request, themes that we've collectively generated, and rich, wonderful teacher talk that often generates great episodes like this one here tonight, a fruit of that. We would love if you joined us in that live space, Voicehead Radio or chainpad.com slash radio. Pav, you got anything else? Uh, I think we've got uh, a presenta- another presentation coming up this week, don't we? So we are, we are definitely uh, really exploring some of the new learning that we have done and we're putting together some great presentations uh, to deliver and to continue our learning. So we've got another one coming up this week where we uh, talk a little bit more about our double exposure pro- uh, project that uh, we did earlier on in the year. So that's exciting stuff. Beautiful. Remember to rate, review, us and when you try to give us a 10 out of 5 and apple tells you you can't give them cut eye immediately and say oh i gave them a turn <laughs> and i'm sure i'm sure that you will disrupt you will disrupt their rating system and we will have that 10 and we will thank you immensely all right so thank you everybody for joining us on the staff room podcast this was episode 86 are they my students Four times you said my. See you next week, everybody. Bye, everyone.